0: I don't know if you've been on social media uh, recently, but they have what's called now the uh, Dog Runaway Challenge. And on the Dog Runaway Challenge, what you do is the, the, the owners, let's say a couple, they get together and they face each other. They put the dog in the middle, then both owners just run away. And they see who the dog follows. In essence, trying to figure out who does this dog love more? And so you put the dog in the middle, you run away. Whoever the dog goes to, that's who is loved more by the pet. You should do it at home, film yourselves. I want to see what happens. Uh, plus I want to see some of you run at full speed as well and, and what that looks like. So one couple did it with the Yorkshire Terrier and it was pretty funny what happened. The dog is there, the, the owners run in opposite directions. Uh, the dog turn, turns one way and, and starts to bark. And then turns the other way and starts to bark and and it keeps on doing that. And the dog just starts to spin in a circle because it's in this fit of indecision. And somebody wrote in the comments, I think you broke your dog. (laughs) Like, I think your dog's broken uh, from doing this. In today's passage, Jesus is going to ask us to be devoted to God alone. He's going to call us to be loyal to our king and to his kingdom priorities and no one else. But if we're honest, there are things that compete for our love, loyalty, and attention. And if we're really honest, we can feel like that Yorkshire Terrier, caught in a fit of indecision. In the West, there's one specific thing that I believe most causes this fit of indecision. It's God and something else, and that something else I believe is money, wealth, and possessions. One of my professors, Dr. Craig Blomberg, said, it's arguable that materialism is the single biggest competitor with authentic Christianity for the hearts and souls of millions in our world today, including many in the visible church. I especially think so in America. Our biggest threat isn't other religions. It's not other world religions. Our our biggest threat isn't people evangelizing to us and us being like, ooh, that sounds captivating. I don't think that's our biggest threat. I think our biggest threat, the thing that pulls us most away from God is how we view wealth and possessions and what we think they can do for us. Wealth challenges our loyalty to the king and his kingdom priorities because of what it offers us money says come over here follow me there's happiness there's contentness contentment there's there's peace if you just run my direction if you if you commit to me and not god i will give you all those things and and more jesus's words today they challenge us to make a choice Choose this day on who or what you will build your life upon. Turn to Matthew 6. Open up to Matthew 6. Go to verse 19. Again, we are deep into the Sermon on the Mount. He has talked about much. We've had the Beatitudes, salt and light. We've, we've seen him fulfill the law, give us a deeper richer understanding of it. Uh, We talked about last week, authentic, inauthentic faith and what it looks like to pursue him and be generous and pray and fast with honest hearts, not for show. And then he says this on the topic of giving, the topic of generosity, the topic of wealth and possessions. Look at 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. He just flat out tells us, don't make your life about storing up earthly treasures. Don't make your life about that. The reason, those things are transient. Rust destroys precious metals. The moth ruins valuable cloth, and all of it is susceptible to to theft. I remember in college, my most valued possession, this is going to date me a little bit, was my uh, CD player in my car. It was a flip face. And so when the car turned on, it flipped around. Oh, got that for my birthday. Yeah! I heard some... 80s, 90s children being like, ooh, that guy. I had some yeah, I remember somebody, when, when I moved to Topeka, Kansas, somebody broke into my car and stole it. My most prized possession. The, the most expensive thing I had to my name at that time. Earthly treasure is, is transient. But the problem is, is we like treasure. <laughs> we love possessions. We love the idea of having a big bank account. If we have a lot of it, we, we love that. We like treasure and we love having a lot of it. With enough, man, I can be safe. I can be protected from the problems of this warning. If I have enough possessions and wealth, if I have enough, I'll feel valuable and important. It's an indication of my success. With enough I can indulge not every need. Needs are boring. I can indulge every want. Every one pleasure. Vacation, food, drink. I can indulge it all. If I have enough, I can be the master of my own fate. I can decide what I do, when I do it. And here's, I think, one of the biggest ones. If I have enough, I can get to the point Where I don't need to rely on anyone, let alone God. The problem, earthly treasure, is transient. The new car, the smartphone, the house, the computer, jewelry, your bank account, all of it is susceptible to rot, rust, fire, or theft. I have good friends who have lost everything in their home because of a faulty wire. It can all be lost in a second. It will all end up in the ground at some point. Or you will end up in the ground first. And guess what? Whatever you accumulate that is earthly, say it with me, you can't take it with you. There are not hitches on hearses. You don't get to fill up a U-Haul and hitch it to the back of your hearse. That, that's not a thing because you don't get to take those things with you into the next life. What is earthly doesn't transfer. Do not store up for yourself transient treasure. Instead, lay up eternal treasure in heaven. I like the term lay up like basketball. Do a layup. Lay up eternal treasure in heaven. How? How do I lay up eternal treasure in heaven? How do I live for eternal treasure that will not rust, rot, or be susceptible to theft? I believe in context, it's doing the will of the King. It's just pursuing the Sermon on the Mount, <laughs> doing everything Jesus has called us to do. It's making our life about making peace, being salt and light resisting anger, keeping your word, turning the other cheek, loving your enemy, forgiving, giving generously and discreetly, praying and fasting authentically. That's how we labor for a heavenly harvest, a heavenly treasure. Now, some of you are thinking, what is this heavenly treasure? Like if If I do these things that God calls me to do, is my heavenly home going to have more square footage than the person who doesn't? Am I going to have a gold-encrusted driveway? And is my doorknob going to be made of pure diamonds? I don't think that is what Jesus is talking about here. He doesn't specifically define it here. But if we take Scripture on a whole, it, it could be probably a number of different things. It could be in reference to our... Inheritance in Christ, of whom we will reign and rule with in the next life. Paul talks about the gold and silver of the Christian's work for the kingdom that will, will be rewarded at the day of judgment. Could be just talking about being with Christ fully. He is our greatest treasure. Jesus could be speaking of everything believers can take with them into the next life. Holiness of character. Obedience to God's commands. Souls won for Christ. Disciples nurtured in faith. Here's the deal. Whatever, whatever those treasures are, they're going to make silver, gold, any jewel you can obtain in this life look like trinkets. Two choices. Use the time you have on this planet to store up earthly treasure that will fade away or use your time on this planet to lay up heavenly treasure says where your treasure is there your heart will also be the heart is the emotions reason and will of a person it refers to one's being and what I think he's saying is we will build our lives around What we value most. Another way to say it is what we value most will shape our emotions, reason, and will, what we do and how we do it. The pursuit of transient earthly goods will guard our lives, or we will live for things of God, storing up eternal treasure in the process. Look at verse 22 and 23. It's probably one of the weirdest verses uh, to have to explain in the Sermon on the Mount. The eye is the lamp of the body. That's okay. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Again, don't know what that means. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? I believe this is connected to what we just talked about with with the heart. So for all of us, a healthy eye lets in light, correct? And it allows you to live a certain way, to, to walk this way, go this way. I can guide my body by the light that is let in, where they go, what they do. That's how, our, that's how it works. Without light, you can, you can adjust and things like that, but you'll be in darkness. A good eye then is, a guy, is an eye that's fixed on God alone, the things of God, the treasures of God. It's an eye that values those things most. And so when a good eye Let's the light of God into our lives, it's going to affect every part of our being. It's going to change what we do, how we do it, when we do it. We're going to, we're going to walk in righteousness and godliness. If we're talking about money, a spirit of generosity will be cultivated. We'll, we'll use our resources the way that God wants. Now, when the eye is sick or bad, it's not... Fixed on the things of God. When light is not getting in because it's transfixed on wealth, security, and success as our greatest value, our lives will be plunged into darkness. And what we do will be characterized not by godliness and righteousness, but what we do will be characterized by greed, hoarding, self-centeredness. Again, two more choices. <laughs> Focus on God and walk in light. Focus on wealth and find yourself in darkness. And we've all seen it. We've seen people who've made accumulating more or having enough as the end goal in life come to the end of it and say, what was it all for? Pushed away people I cared for. I wasted my life with anxiety. I've, I've treated other people as a means to an end. That's what greed does. Covetousness does. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters for for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. (laughs) You and I cannot serve God and money at the same time. There are two treasures and two eyes. the culmination, there's a choice to make between two masters. It's either God and and mammon. The term there is actually mammon. It's not just money. It's an all-encompassing term for wealth, property, possessions, all that a person can accumulate. You you can have two two bosses. I mean, how many of you have multiple managers over you? How, How frustrating is that? Uh, you know, you can have, you, can have uh, you know, five managers over you, two employers, ten teachers you need to listen to. But there is only one throne of our lives. And Jesus doesn't share his kingship. Either he's on it or something else is. This is an idolatry issue. We will either love and devote ourselves to God Or serve in love and devote ourselves to money. Well, how about this, Pastor Larry? Can I be devoted to God maybe like Monday through Friday? And then on Saturday and Sunday, you know, just let it make it rain a little bit? Like have some fun? No. We will either serve one or the other. It's impossible to serve both, both God and mammon because the two demand opposite things for us. Mammon demands from us self-centeredness and greed. God demands from us the exact opposite, selflessness and generosity. You will either serve one or the other. And you may say you serve one, but your actions may show that somebody else is your master. We will hate one and love the other. We should treat with contempt anything that competes for God's glory in our lives. Anything. We should hate anything that competes for God's glory in our lives. And so if money, wealth, and possessions sets itself up as the ultimate thing in your life, just like any other idol, you should crush it. You should crush it. Now, does this mean I have to be poor for the rest of my life and sell all my possessions? Maybe. Jesus asked we'd know at least one person to do that. He doesn't ask everybody to do that. But he also knew that money and possessions were the king of that rich young ruler's life. You guys remember that story? He may ask you to do it. Are you willing? If not, it may indicate who or what you worship. What is more important to you? If God clearly said to you, I need you to... To, to write this check. I, I need you to do this. It was clear that that is what he wanted to do for you. And if you put down the pen and put the checkbook away, that is demonstrating who, who or what you serve. I just can't do that. Because if we lose this money, then it's going to happen, then it's going to happen. Is all wealth bad? No. No. Jesus never condemns wealth in and of itself. Now, most of the early Christians were poor. They were not wealthy. They were not people that were, oh, look look at what he's driving. Look at at his flip CD player on his donkey. Look at that guy over there. It's amazing. We see uh, some rich, wealthy people in the New Testament, Zacchaeus, Barnabas. Um, But what he does condemn is the love of wealth. Money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money. It's when our possessions possess us. That, that's when, when wealth and money and possessions become, become dangerous. A good thing turns evil when it becomes an ultimate thing. But if, if Christ is our joy, if God is who we treasure, and doing His will is, is of greatest value to us, our possessions can become tools used To serve and love him. And so here's here's the big idea of today. One thing you can write down. Wealth either sits on the throne or it serves the one who is. Wealth will either sit on the throne of your life or be used to serve the God who is on the throne. Wealth either sits on the throne or it will serve the one who is. Wealth is is a blessing it can be a blessing man I, it's nice to feed your kids it's nice to be able to save god is not against saving uh you know uh, I, I hope my kids can go to school one day uh, i hope that can happen uh but it's always a blessing that comes with a responsibility wealth is always a blessing that comes with a responsibility blessed with wealth guess what God has just now given you the ministry of helps. You've been given the application, you passed. God has given you that to to help bless others. The more you've been given, the more you are called to participate in that ministry of generosity. Mammon is, is not a God, but something that God gives us to alleviate the burdens of others to lift up the fallen, to reach the unreached with the gospel. When we, when we give what has been given to us by God with a generous heart, we are telling God that he alone is king of our lives. That he alone sits upon the throne and that all we have, all we have is at his dis- disposal. Nothing, nothing kills the mammon idol more than willingly using it for God's good purposes. You worship money, wealth, possessions. The best thing you can do is learn to give it away. You want to destroy your, your love and lust for money, learn to let it go. Now, it's a very scary proposition. <laughs> a little uh, wish I was sick today. I wish I had a hernia surgery, hernia surgery, so I get out of this thing. It's scary, man. It's scary to think about this because all the repercussions we can think about. What about this, man? There's a lot of, lot of butts with this conversation. What about this? But what about what? What, what do we do? Is God going to feed my family if I'm if I'm the type of person who's who's generous and decides this month to to help out with this? You know, how are we going to feed ourselves? Like, what are my kids going to eat? How, how are we like? It's 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 scary to take money off the throne. And serve the God who is. Guess what? God knows it's scary. And he speaks directly to you. In 25 through 34, we're going to read this at one time, so follow with me. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. Well, okay. <laughs> nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. That doesn't mean we shouldn't work. We shouldn't do things. Yet our heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing, what you will wear? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? It's a faith issue. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? What are we to drink? Or what shall we wear? It's the Gentiles who seek after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. God is saying, I understand you are anxious about this issue. Here are a couple proverbs about wealth and a valuable truth for you to hold on to. He says, which of you, by being anxious, can add an hour to your life? Worrying adds nothing to your life. Anxiety adds nothing to your life. In fact, Mr. Anxiety is a taker of things. He's a taker of time. He's a taker of energy. Anxiety. There's, there's, there's always one in the marriage, one in the family, who's just the more anxious person. You have a risk of living a shorter life. I'm sorry. Anxiety, when constantly produced, uh, will constantly produce hormones like cortisol and epinephrine. These hormones cause serious health issues like heart disease, high blood sugar levels, and digestive issues. You know, some worry is okay. Like if you're being attacked by a bear, a little anxiety is a good thing. But if you're constantly worrying about about God's provision, that sort of worrying adds nothing. In fact, it will shorten your life. It does nothing. It solves nothing. It always takes something. He tells us not to worry about tomorrow for there's enough junk in this world that will happen tomorrow. And guess what? You start stacking up those tomorrows because most of us don't just worry about tomorrow. What do we worry about? The next day. The next week the next year how am i going to retire <laughs> we should maybe worry a bit more about the next life <laughs> but not about the the next day your 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 worry will grow exponentially the bold truth that he tells us is do not worry for god will take care of you if god is on the throne and not mammon do not be anxious He promises, and I want you guys to listen to this. He promises to take care of you. Jesus is here to tell us that God takes care of his own. He knows what you need. He will give you what you need. Anxious about food? He he feeds the birds. Anxious about clothes? Look at the lilies dressed so nice. Will he not take care of you? I mean, worrying, anxiety. It's a Gentile sport. Pagans. Pagans. Were dominated by fear. Their gods were, were constantly in need of appeasing. They were tyrannical and unpredictable. We God's people, kingdom citizens, have a God who is good, a God who promises to provide when people seek his kingdom. Seek his kingdom and you will be taken care of. Again, I think seeking his kingdom is just like storing up treasures. It's doing the Sermon on the Mount seeking his kingdom ethic. When we live out peace, when we follow Jesus into forgiveness and mercy and grace, when we avoid things like anger and lust, God promises us: those who seek my kingdom, I- I- I'm going to give them everything. They- All these things will be added to you. Food, clothing. I will, I will take care of you. Wealth either sits on the throne or it serves the one who is. And if Jesus is on that throne, God promises to take care of you. We have a choice between two treasures, two eyes, two masters, and whether or not to trust the promises of God to take care of us. And I know this isn't fun to talk about, but how you spend your money will reflect that choice, not what you say. Not what you claim. Essentially, your, your budget will reflect that choice. I don't like talking about budgets in church, man. I don't either. It's not my favorite subject. I, I, I don't know how you steward your resources. I'm from the camp, it'll all work out. I tend to be like, eh, it'll be fine. God will make it work. And some of that is because I don't want to have to look at it, I'm lazy. Uh, I can say, oh, I got deep faith, uh, but it's really just because I'm lazy and I don't want to have to look at things. Uh, but, you know, my wife is, is probably the more of the person who's dialed in uh, to, to our budget and how we spend things and, and how we give and, and those sort of things. And so this is an area that I need to grow in. I need to be more intentional with because it takes intentionality in this area to choose heavenly treasure. By default, we will choose earthly treasure. So it takes intentionality to choose heavenly treasure, the healthy eye, and our heavenly father as master. And I'm going to give you something very fun to do this week. Very, very engaging. This is going to be a blast. I guarantee you. Uh, I'm going to encourage you to budget. Look at your budget. If you're married, keep it peaceful. Do it together. God gave you your partner for a reason. Just remember that as you're doing that. Look at your budget. If you don't have a budget, probably need to get a budget. Uh, if you don't, look at how you spent your money last month. Go through your, your credit card statement or your, your, your uh, checking account and, and look at how, how did I utilize my money? Let's, let's put it in categories. Entertainment, you know, you know, all these different things. How did I do that? Does, does it reflect that God is on the throne? Now, some people will say, as you do that, you know, You should do like the 80-10-10 principle. They'll kind of give you hard guidelines for how to keep God on the throne. They'll say, you know, uh, use 80 to to pay your bills, to live your life, to do that. Save 10 and give 10% of your gross income. That's um, That's not a terrible thing to do. If you're doing that, hey, that's probably pretty good. But let's be honest. Living off of 80 for, for Bill Gates is very different than living off of 80 for Larry Skimpery. Very, very different. You know, 80 for me is eating, you know, five guys once a week. That's pushing it. <laughs> Bill Gates gets to eat whatever, 80 80% of, of whatever Jeff Bezos has. I mean, come on. Buy a Bugatti for lunch. I don't know if that's always, the, you know, the, the rule that applies to, to everybody, but it, it can be a good one. You know, Dave Ramsey, the, the Pope of financial philosophy, he gives people very specific things, you know, when it comes to, 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 to your budget, to keep God on the throne, uh, you know, save uh, 10%, food, 10%. I'm guessing he doesn't have teenagers because that'll go uh, real quick. Uh, housing, 25%. He probably doesn't live in Castle Rock. Uh, Personal spending, 10%. He breaks down all these very specific things in his budget, which again, can be a very good thing to do. I'm not, I'm not against that. If we want to be intentional, but, but maybe a good starting point for most of us is this, to look at your budget, what you spent last month, last month and then ask some of these questions. And so here's a few questions. They're not going to be up here. If you want to write them down, you can. That's great. I encourage you to do that. But here's question number one. With heaven in view, how might I best store up that which lasts? With heaven in view, with my finances in view, how might I best store up that which lasts? That which is eternal. Here's another question. How do I use this budget to fix my eyes on what matters most and not on that which leads to darkness? How do I use this budget to fix my eyes on what matters most and not on that which leads to darkness? Third question. How do I show the God I love that he alone is my king? with my finances? How do I show the God of love who saved me from sin and death, who has given me every good thing in life, starting with salvation and then adding everything else that is good, that I taste in my life? How do I show the God I love that he alone is the king of my life? And last question. How can I trust God more as I seek to do his will? How can I trust God more with what is in front of me as I as I seek to do his will? You have two treasures. Two eyes and two masters. All competing for your heart. Choose wisely. Let's pray.